Welcome to Black Hill. It is often late before she gets home. Often the light is gone and more than once she has slipped from the path and torn her dress on the fence or caught her thick hair in a low branch. By day she marks the seemingly endless hours in Lennox Tower, a ruin presiding over a steep wooded hill by the river and the old railway. It is always damp, always thick with the smell of wild garlic and by autumn there is little of the ruin that can be seen through the cloud of deep glossy vine. She plays with her birds, as she has always done, and the crows, loving her, are happy to play their part in her small fierce dramas. The games articulate her still-growing melancholy, framed in a lonely proscenium. A child out of time, she watched from afar, as her family closed her grave after the flood and returned to the old castle. Might anyone there suppose for a moment that she did not die in the flood? Probably not. And so the birds play their parts, and her play repeats each day until the sun sinks behind Black Hill, and the air chills, and she begins the slow journey back to the lodge. Goodbye, crows, sleep soft, and remember, my eyes are darker than yours, and I am your queen. She can smile and pout at once, and she lifts some grain and lint from the patch pocket in her dress. Each bird takes a peck or two at her palm before springing out of the ruin on ragged wings. She could cry, of course. She tells herself that she could cry should she wish but what would be the point? Crying is a kind of disturbing noise. It may cause all the remaining good to take flight. And so, as happens every night, in the form of crows, her father, her brother, the servants, all leave to become lost in the trees, lost to her. As the evening darkens, she gathers her things, new feathers, eggshells, moss down, a mouse's skull, and cups them in her filthy hands, draws them close to her chest as she stumbles slowly down the hill to the path. It is quite dark by the time she has completed the stations of her journey, Piggery Pool, Well of Mist, the rise to Glenbrook, to the lodge. Sealed and safe from the world, dark and cool, she has faithfully reproduced her attic room from memory, 
exquisitely cluttered with shadows, her narrow bed near buried with sagging cushions and musty blankets, staring dolls, stuffed birds, and drawings upon drawings of plants and trees and birds and mice. By pushing things around she finds room on the shelves for the new finds, then sinks into her creaking chair under the combed beams. The night is damp and increasingly cold. The window is open. It has been so for so long that the ivy has grown through the space, just how it used to be back at the castle. She has built anew her solitude from spite. She draws her knees up to her chin and folds her hands around her ankles. The dolls look at her without seeming to stare. Must everything crumble behind us as we grow? Sometimes I feel that when I do finally die, as we all must, that it will be the biggest anticlimax. It will be the last breath that blows the husk away. Returning home from the exhibition of half-seen nocturnes, he brushed unexpectedly against a figure in the dark pathway heading up from the gate to the front steps of the lodge house. He was so lost in thought, so as not to be startled, but rather the unexpected presence of another body brushing his side stirred him as though from a deep sleep. It was not the case for the unfortunate gardener that he had collided with in the deep shadows of those misplaced glossy Mediterranean bushes. The gardener, triggered only by instinct, released a wordless cry of surprise and recoiled into the undergrowth, dropping his tools as he fell. He was a practical man with large dry hands and weathered skin who knew how to candle an egg 
and skin a rabbit. The breadth of his tender mercy spanned all the way to cold butchery. He was seldom caught off guard, and so, although he had cried out involuntarily, his recovery was sharp and swift as a blink. The brief exchange sought to conceal the shock with formality. The night is Victorian. Elsewhere, heroines are teasing straws in lonely barns, while milk streams from the udders of cattle and the mouths of their newborn calves. Warm milk spilled into hay. But here... Sir, let me light a match so that you might find your tools. That is appreciated, sir. The new moon provides sore lack of light. I was lost entirely in my thoughts, he offered, the stooped figure sifting through the leaves. It is as well to be lost in thought, sir, for the mind, like the body, tends towards indolence if left untended. One must think all one can in whatever means said thoughts rise like sap. Indeed, sir, and good night. Go safe, if you will. For there is a tense stillness in the air tonight, a sense, if you will, of watchers watching. And you are watching, are one of the watchmen. You find the next one by brandishing a burning stick from the brushwood pile beside you. Why are you watching? Someone must watch, it is said. Someone must be there. Back at the desk, which he piloted late into the heart of each night, he took to his correspondence. Music he had maintained, and was now being called upon to defend, was implicated in time travel. Music fixes a time, a moment, and, as incense affects the Sufi, sends the listener whirling back in time and trance to a specific moment. Clearly this is all tied to personal memory, but really, whoever considered travelling back in time to be another person? I think, however, that this consideration can become part of a compositional strategy. I have, over the course of an hour composition, derived methods to induce a sense of familiarity bordering on nostalgia for the listener. The experiment is young and raw, and so the execution is somewhat coarse but effective nonetheless. By subtly introducing a motif early in the piece and the sound bed captured from the field, I have woven the motif in and out of the work with the intention that as the work proceeds towards a conclusion, this motif, along with these captured impressions of place, hit the listener as something familiar from deep in memory. The work now seems to be less a compositional piece of one hour and more of a journey through the years to a forgotten realm in the past. He read again the lines in the letter he had received from the painter that had challenged him so. Isn't it unfortunate that a photograph can capture the full impact of a second, yet a piece of music can only yield itself and its meaning across the fullness of its own duration? This no doubt is compensated for by music's unique ability to present several aspects of its meaning simultaneously in the form of melodic counterpoint. But the central point would seem to be that music is bound by time. A painting offers a sense of the time of its own execution, yet can be appreciated in a fraction of that time. And photography, 
in the hands of a master presents not so much a fraction of a second in a narrative, but the fraction of a second that contains the essence of all the time that surrounds it. Time, time, time. He cannot argue with the idea that music is condemned to time and the composer is a jailer demanding containment of the listener for a fixed period of time. This seems quite different from the much more commonly utilised metaphor of the composer as magician, slipping the listener through elasticated time so that all but the physical body has travelled in time and place to the heart of the music. Jailkeeper and magician. Perhaps they have something in common. The jailer demands that the body be contained. The magician not only demands your physical presence, but demands also your attention, in order to fool and mislead you into an appreciation of the strange work that comes from outside to stir them towards emotional attentiveness. Give me a simple jail term and let my mind wander untethered any day over the vile demands of the mentalist huckster. He could sleep now, or he could walk. There is so little light out there, however, a new moon is the darkest moon. Out there, there is a flickering tiny light. It is difficult to pinpoint where it is. It could be right outside the window or far off near the horizon, a firefly or refinery flare. No, it is a light in the gamekeeper's cottage and that troubles him. That night, when eventually he retired, he dreamed in still life. Blackbird eggs, rusted metal, a key, seashells, a gun, driftwood arranged across the keys of a glossy piano. Imagine piano keys contrived from blackbird eggshells. Ever heard a wasp scratch wood? Hello?